0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. (laughs) This week, we will be talking about No Accounting for Murder, season three, episode 19, first aired March 22nd, 1987. And the IMDb summary reads, Grady Fletcher is in big trouble again when his boss is found dead and he is the main suspect. Are we surprised? No. (laughs) So we have one returner and that is Ron Masick. And we will remember him as Lieutenant Mayor in Footnote to Murder. In this episode, he plays Marty Gillis And we will recognize him in next season. I believe season four, we meet him as Sheriff Mort Metzger. So yes, this is his last time as a non Mort Metzger character. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Let's get into the entire cast and then right into the story. So, of course, we have Grady Fletcher. We have Lester Grimshaw, Lieutenant Timothy Hanratty, Marty Giles, Lana Whitman, Ralph Whitman, Harry Caldwell, Paul Carlisle, Connie Norton, Edna Weems, Mrs. Ellis, and The Phantom. Yes, The Phantom is a character, okay? All right now, so we start with a panoramic view, a little tour of New York City, while Frank Sinatra's New York, New York is playing in the background. It is the instrumental version, and I definitely found myself filling in the words, okay? (laughs) But then we are seeing grady he's picking up a sandwich he's then playing frogger trying to get across the street i'm like dude you're (laughs) and i think he was even at a light like i don't understand like why he is trying to get across the street instead of waiting for the light but you know like new yorkers we don't necessarily wait for the light but like what he was doing was stupid and dangerous he clearly has not been in new york long enough to know how to cross the street with or without the light. Okay. Anyway, so he gets back to his desk. He sits down, he takes his sandwich out, he's about to eat and he gets a call from Mr. Whitman to come into his office. So he leaves his sandwich on his desk, just open and exposed and runs off to Mr. Whitman's office. We then see some moderately clean hands attached to an unseen man, open up the bread of the sandwich, look at it, and then grab it and go. So I'm like, if he didn't like what he saw, he would just left it there. That's gross. You are touching this man's sandwich. Now I'm saying this, even if we weren't in these COVID times, that's still disgusting, okay? Anyway. <laughs> Clearly don't touch my food with your bare hands, sir. Okay. So we then are in Whitman's office and he is assigning Grady a large number of account client files. And Grady is like, okay, thank you. You know, he must've just started or has been working there for a few months because he already has at least one client that will meet in like 30 seconds. But he is getting a full caseload at this point. As he's leaving, he's thanking Mr. Whitman for the assignments and Mr. Whitman is like, no, 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 call me Ralph, which Grady is uncomfortable with. And I completely understand this because if you are used to calling your, you know, your bosses or elders as it were, by Mr or Mrs, even if it's in grade school where it was like Miss Diane or something like that, you never called them just by their first name. And this is one of the partners. He's not the name on the door, but he is a part owner of this accounting firm. So to call him by his first name is very strange to Grady. And I completely understand like, one of my first retail jobs, they called the store managers and all the supervisors by their first name. And I thought that was the oddest thing, but from there all the way into my present day career, yeah, the supervisors are called by their first names and sometimes without a title in front of it. It is very different than what we were taught growing up. But (laughs) you got to go with the flow. So as Grady is returning to his office, he has a client who is waiting for him. Now, I'm just going to step aside and bring out the fact that Connie, the receptionist, is painting her nails at her desk. I cannot tell you how unprofessional that is. Like, I just can't even believe that at this high price, high dollar, nearly top floor business, accounting firm, right? That she is there, clearly bored out of her mind to the point that she can paint her nails like she has all this extra time. This is not a good look, point blank, period. Anyway, so Mrs. Ellis is the client that Grady has scheduled a meeting with and she literally has a paper bag full of receipts and I feel bad for Grady immediately. Okay, he has all of these files. It's his lunchtime. So I'm guessing he thought that he would have finished eating by the time his meeting with Miss, Mrs. Ellis Was going to occur, but neither of those things happened. So he walks into his office. He sees that his sandwich is gone. Now the paper bag is still there, and he's like looking under his desk and stuff. I'm like, if the sandwich got up and walked away, you don't want it, okay? Or if a rat came and got it and left the remnants, you don't want that either, okay? Not enough hungry in the world. However, I'm like, maybe he should have asked Mrs. Ellis to wait like two more minutes and asked Connie to order him something from the deli. And then by the time he finished with Mrs. Ellis, then he could have eaten. But that sounds too much like right. And that makes too much sense. So mm, whatever. Now he's going to be hungry. So Mrs. Ellis is like, okay, you told me to bring in my receipts to see what could be deducted. And so you said medical. Here is a letter from my brother who requested that I go help him during his surgery or in his recovery after surgery. And Grady's like, uh, this letter from your brother is not going to be acceptable to the IRS. And she's like, but it's medical. And he's like, it means you're medical. She's like, listen, I don't understand. So here are all the receipts. And documentation, you go through them and let me know what's what. And then she proceeds to put her head in her hands and wait and watch him. Like, so it wasn't even like she left it and was like, I'll be back tomorrow, or I'll be back in a week or something. She was gonna sit there and watch him go through the receipts. Now this lady ain't got nothing better to do. Clearly, she was very well put together. I appreciate that, but Ma'am, I got other people to see. I can't be here going through your receipts. I wasn't going to go through your receipts anyway. (laughs) They don't have an intern, a junior associate, anybody to go through these receipts. So it seems like hours later after he has probably gone through these receipts, she then leaves. So maybe he would not have been able to eat. Maybe he saw that paper bag of receipts and was like, If I haven't already eaten, I'm not going to get a chance to until dinner time with my aunt. So I'll give him a pass this time. After Mrs. Ellis walks out the door, Connie is speaking with Grady and she's getting ready to put on her makeup and leave for the day, which I'm like, oh, she got someplace else to be, right? (laughs) She's talking about she has to put on war paint. She is not going home. Okay. she is going out to have a good time. All right, girl, get your life, live it well. So next thing you know, Jessica is coming off of the elevator. And I think first we see Connie coming out of the bathroom. She looks down the hall towards the camera and screams and goes running off. She comes around the corner. Jessica is just stepping off of the elevator. She bumps into Jessica. This is Connie. She bumps into Jessica and is screaming and kind of just like rolls over, (laughs) like rolls around Jessica and just like heads into some door. And so, because it looks like the bathroom is shared by the suites on that floor. And so she runs back into the accounting firm office. So Whitman comes out. The security guard was also down the hall. No, the security guard was the direction that Jessica was coming from. So he runs to get whoever this phantom is, right? Tackles somebody, gets them in a headlock. Jessica runs over because of course she does. And it turns out that it's Grady, right? Now Grady is not the phantom, but whatever Connie saw, whatever angle or whatever, she mistook Grady for the Phantom. Okay, I'm like, but he's a real person. So, okay, anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they don't think it's a real person. They think it's a ghost, okay? So I'm like, how could you mistake Grady, a real person for a ghost? But okay, anyway. So, Whitman thinks this is hilarious. Okay, he's like, "Oh, it wasn't your ghost. Well, if you if you see your ghost on the way, go ahead and capture him or whatnot. Let me know." And he's like cracking himself up because he thinks this is a whole lie, a whole story, a whole scam and a scheme. Ain't no ghosts. Ghosts don't exist. I don't know what is wrong with these people. So he's like, "There's a whole spectacle." So Grady gets up, he gets himself together. He introduces Whitman to Jessica and then Whitman is like, oh, I have to introduce you to Paul Carlisle. He, he would love to meet you. And so they go into Carlisle's office. And so Carlisle is the owner of the accounting firm, right? His name is the one on the door. It's Paul Carlisle and Associates. So Whitman introduces him to Jessica and says like, hey, she's a really famous author, right? Or he says writer, right? And so this makes her more interesting to Carlisle. So he puts down the file that he was browsing at cause he probably wasn't going to give her the time of day until he found out that she has money and perhaps he can get her account. Right. Especially since Grady is working for them. So he's like, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. I've been a fan for 20 years. Jessica has not been writing for 20 years and you know, there's nothing better than a good love story. Now, Jessica is extremely gracious. She is a class act and she does not embarrass him by correcting him at all. She's just like, oh, I I completely agree. Oh, I'm flattered. Thank you. And moves on, right? So this interaction, grand opening, grand closing, they say their niceties and leave. And Whitman thanks her for being so gracious. He's like, oh, Carlyle really doesn't read much or whatever. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. He was very gracious. Meaning, you know, he did take the time to greet me. And he also hired my nephew. So there's that. <laughs> and it's true. Like you don't want to mess things up for your family member by standing on principle. And it's like, I don't care about this man you know, he's a human being, but I mean, like, I don't care about his opinion. I don't care if he knows me or he doesn't know me. All right. I'm here for Grady. He is Grady's boss. That's fine. Okay. If he wants to, at least he thought to lie. Okay. (laughs) He took the two to three seconds to come up with a lie to make me feel good. So, all right, I'll give him that and I'm not going to give him any issues or embarrass him period. So, as they were leaving Carlisle's office, Whitman turns around and he says, "Paul, I have the Hammond, not Hammett cheese file. <laughs> Hammond file on my desk. Do you want to look at it tonight?" To which Carlyle says, "No, I'm getting ready to leave in a few minutes. I'll look at it in the morning." So all three, that being Whitman, Grady, and Jessica leave his office and Jessica and Grady are heading out of the office to go to dinner. Whitman is on his way out as well. But then Grimshaw, who is an IRS agent, comes in and is like, hey, I've been trying to, you know, get in touch with you for the past few days. I, we really need to discuss whatever they need to discuss. So Whitman is like, Hey, it's six 30. Like, can this wait until the morning? And Grimshaw says no. So Whitman is like, uh, all right, you guys have a great night to Jessica and to Grady. He's like, I fear that my dinner is going to be a bowl of cereal at midnight. I'm like, Oh, is he in college? (laughs) I appreciate that. I appreciate that because that is very true. That was true for many a nights, okay? That is like, you know what? The most I can muster is for a bowl of cereal early in the morning, late at night, whichever you want to call midnight, okay? (laughs) Or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. So they leave and they go to dinner and Grady is starving. He is tearing that bread bowl up okay (laughs) no judgment because a good bread bowl like not necessarily a bowl made out of bread but a bowl with bread in it and butter on the side especially if the butter isn't cold or at least is very spreadable listen I'm not mad at you I am right there with you okay (laughs) so we find out about the phantom right? Just a bit more information. And Grady is like, listen, I don't necessarily believe it. However, my lunch was stolen today and I've heard strange sounds in the wall. And Mr. Whitman says that there's other small items, stolen food and bits of clothes. To which Jessica says, that sounds more like a petty thief than an apparition. So, Grady is like, yeah, you know, true, true, true. We find out that he has to actually go back to work because this is prime tax season. Now there's snow on the ground. So I'm going to guess that this is February and they're getting a head start on personal income taxes. The business income tax, well, the business taxes, are quarterly for the size businesses that they have as clients, so yeah, I'm guessing because most people who have jobs where you get a W two, you would get those at the end of January. So I'm gonna say this is probably February, where uh, companies are closing out their books for the year and preparing for their quarterly report, while reporting to the IRS. And they're also doing personal income tax filings that are due by April 15th in each year. So he's talking about he has to do 16 hour days. So that's what I'm guessing is that up until April 15th, they are getting all of these um, clients situated. And the fact is, if that one woman, Mrs. Ellis, had all those receipts and they have to sit there and go through all of these receipts to make sure they get everybody's deductions, especially for the big companies that don't want to pay taxes. So yeah, yeah, I can understand how you would have 16 hour days this far ahead of when the taxes were actually due. And I forgot this part, but this was super funny Jessica says, the only things that go bump in the night in this city are the taxi cabs. And I got a little chuckle from that, okay? <laughs> so the next scene, we see Jessica and Grady in a taxi. The taxi drops Grady off at his office and Jessica is still in it because she's gonna go to her hotel or maybe to Grady's home. I don't know where she's staying this trip. And a woman comes up to the taxi to try to hail it and sees Jessica in the back. And Jessica just shrugs and is like, I got the taxi. I don't know what you want me to do. And the thing is, she wasn't even going to move over. Like, I don't know where this lady's going. I'm not about to share my taxi cab. Good for you, Jessica. Good for you. Now, we don't know who this woman is, but I will tell you, we find out that this is Lana Whitman, Mr. Whitman's wife. So the next scene, we are seeing Grady enter the office. So the outside door to the office suite is locked. So he unlocks it. He goes in. He sees Mr. Whitman's light on. He goes up to the door. He's calling out Mr. Whitman's name because he wants to let him know that I'm there. And so he doesn't get scared or call security or the police or something like, hey, I'm back. I'm going to be working just so you know. He walks in and Whitman is at, in his chair slumped over, dead. So Grady runs over. He does not touch anything. He realizes he's dead and picks up the phone and dials for security. He dials zero and he's asking for them to send help. And as he's turning, he sees red paint on the wall and it reads, Leave me alone or I'll kill again. Now he is shocked beyond belief here and he is holding the phone, but he is shocked to the point where he can't say anything. And you hear the person on the other side, like, where is the emergency? Where is the emergency? What happened? The next scene has the police reviewing and examining the scene and Jessica comes in looking for Grady at which time she meets Lieutenant Barney Hanratty, okay? (laughs) And we will see Barney a few times throughout the series. So Hanratty tells her, hey, he's giving a statement, that being Grady, and we now notice that there is somebody watching or something watching this through the wall, So there's a grate and we now have a view of the room and what's going on from behind that grate. Now the people in the room don't know they're being watched, but now we as audience members are able to see what this phantom or actual person is seeing from inside the wall. And we learn from Lieutenant Hanratty that there was a lamp cord wrapped around Whitman's neck, and so that is how he was murdered. And I'm like, what? Did he just sit there unless somebody wrapped that around his neck? Like, how, what is going on here? That that sounds implausible. Um, but maybe when he says wrapped around, it could have just been pulled and then tied in the back. Sorry to be kind of graphic there. Um that might be what he means. But when he says wrapped around, I'm thinking like you know, just like you know how you like wrap up a charging cord. That's what I'm thinking, but I don't think that's what he meant. So Jessica is like, but this doesn't make sense. Like the painting on the wall makes it seem like it's a madman or a stranger. Right. But if Whitman is sitting in his chair, he is not going to just be sitting in his chair if some stranger slash madman comes into his office. And additionally, the outside door was locked. So he would have had to get up and let that person in the main door. So he came in with a stranger, let them sit down, he sat down and then was attacked by this person who then sprawled this on the wall. It doesn't make sense. And after hearing this Hanratty agrees, he then walks with Jessica out of the office and tells his sergeant, Hey, seal up the room once you guys are done. And after they finish questioning Mr. Fletcher, that being Grady, tell him that his aunt is waiting for him. The next scene, we're at the precinct, and we have Carlisle being interviewed by Han Reddy, who has this very large, clear tea mug, okay? Well, it's a mug, and he has tea in it, and like, this is the most random thing I have ever seen. Like, I, I just cannot wrap my head around it. It's so random that he has this, like, gigantic mug, okay? that it's half filled with tea and a gigantic tea bag. <laughs> when I tell you it was distracting, it was distracting. Anyway, so Carlisle is like, are we done? Because I got to get back to work. I got to get to the office. And Hanratty is like, uh, your partner was murdered and you are open for business today. And Carlisle is like, Because Carlisle was like, oh, he is a very good, close, personal friend of mine. And so Hanratty is asking the questions that everybody has. Like, so how you seen the bounce back real quick, like his body is not even truly cold yet. Okay. And (laughs) Carlisle is like, I am a CPA, not a sentimentalist. Sir, you need to be a human being to feel some type of way. Like you don't have to be a sentimentalist. Like someone that you knew for many years was murdered, but not only murdered, but murdered in your office. Okay. Like, so that is disturbing to everybody. And the fact that you're not moved by this and then you're making your staff who may be, as you say, sentimentalists or people with souls, I guess, you know, interchangeable, that maybe they're upset about this and maybe they're disturbed by this and uncomfortable about this, but you're making them come in to work as if nothing happened. And I'm like, that's, that's disgusting, actually. That, that really is. That's not like, oh, it's business. If he had been murdered at home, that's sad and, and upsetting, right? But the fact that he was murdered in this office and you've opened this office up, even with his office, his personal office, where he was murdered, the crime scene being sealed, it's still so disrespectful. It really is. Not only to the person who was murdered, but to all of the people in the office who knew him You know what I mean? So, but I can't say that Carlisle is wrong in the sense that perhaps there are clients of theirs that need their taxes prepared and filed and other accounting work done that they don't care that this man is gone. Like, don't you have somebody else who can do it? So yeah, I guess he has to be that person to say, hey, at the end of the day, it's the clients that are the most important. I can't be concerned and consumed by emotions. But I'm like, you didn't have to do that to your staff though. That's the messed up part. So the next scene, we are back at the accounting firm office with Grady, Connie, and Grimshaw from the IRS. And Grimshaw wants to speak with Grady and Grimshaw does not care that a man was murdered the day before. And he was talking about the IRS has a heart. I'm like, uh, no, this man is not even in the ground yet. Okay. His body hasn't even been released to his family and you're out here like what he did. So I'm going to have to talk to you because he said that this account was yours, sir. So Whitman done through Grady under both sets of the wheels of a bus, just like bump, 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 like just under the bus and then had the nerve to be murdered. (laughs) He set him up far in advance of this, which we'll find out. Okay. But the night before he was murdered, so he was murdered later that same night, right? He meets with Grimshaw and he tells him, this is Grady's account i don't know anything this is grady's account so now it's the next morning and grimshaw's like well he said it was your account like listen (laughs) he he expected to live now whitman expected to live but i'm like how messed up is that right that you survive let's say he didn't he wasn't murdered you expected to throw grady under the bus and there be no consequences of that. So you were gonna look that man in his face the next morning like, yeah, Neptune Ventures is your account. I don't know what you're talking about, that it's mine. I gave it to you. Oh, you can't find the file? Well, that's your problem. Really, you were gonna do that to him? Wow. So yeah, you deserve to die. I'm not even gonna lie about that because that's messed up. Grady didn't do anything to anybody, okay? He may be a little simple sometimes, but he didn't do anything to anybody. And y'all set that poor man up to take a whole fall on some straight up tax fraud years upon years upon years in federal prison type tax fraud. That's messed up. That's messed up. So of course Grady is scared because he has no idea what this Neptune Ventures is. And Grimshaw thinks that he's lying and trying to play dumb and innocent But that's not going to work on Grimshaw. But Grimshaw doesn't know that Grady is not pretending to be dumb and innocent. He actually does not know about this stuff. So he is like the perfect scapegoat because they know that Grimshaw is never going to believe that Grady doesn't know anything. And Grady doesn't have anything to give them any information to give him. So he's going to go up the river for this. Now, Jessica has no idea any of this is going on. She is driving in the car with Hanratty, who basically is like, oh, you're a very wise and logical woman and very much like my wife who has passed away many years ago. We used to sit and discuss my cases and she would give a logical explanation for them. It was very helpful. And, you know, if I could find another woman who was as logical as her, you know, it would be extremely helpful, especially in this case. And when I tell you Jessica was legitimately flattered by this, like legitimately flattered. And I was like, that was kind of cute though. And she's like, oh my God, Yes, you know, I'm just, I'm just very observant and very logical. I would be honored to help you, basically. And you know what? This is perfect because she didn't have to ask to be a part of this. She didn't have to trick her way into being part of the police investigation. Lieutenant Hanratty just saw it. like In just speaking with her in those few conversations they had, he knew that she was someone who could help him right? Someone he could trust. So I like the fact that he was able to read this situation immediately and get her on board for no other reason than knowing that she would be helpful in him getting to the truth. And he doubted that it was Grady. So it was much easier to be willing to work with her when he did not think there was a conflict in the sense that, oh no, her nephew really is the murderer. I can't let her know that I know that he's the murderer. So I like that scene very much as you can tell. Okay. (laughs) So the next scene, we're back at the accounting firm office with Carlisle and Grady. And we find out from Carlisle that some years ago, Grimshaw tried to get Ralph, that Bing Whitman on tax fraud charges. However, Whitman, quote unquote, made mincemeat out of him and his supervisors. And so Grimshaw has been after Whitman for years since then. And Grady was like, well, maybe he got him last night. Like they were here together when the rest of us left. So Carlisle's like, uh, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, show Grimshaw everything you were working on with Whitman. And Grady was like, I was not working on anything with him, at least none of his tax shelter. So I don't have anything to show him. I wasn't working with Whitman on the files that he's talking about. So Grady leaves the office and as he's walking out and Carlisle is closing the door, you can see on Carlisle's face like a questioning look. And so I don't know if he was surprised that Grady wasn't in on this or if he was relieved that Grady didn't know anything about these tax shelters. It's, I don't know yet, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we'll discuss later. So we're still in the office. We're in a different part of the office. Or maybe a different part of the building, I'm not sure. And we find out that Grimshaw was at the office until 7 p.m. So at Carlisle and Associates until 7 p.m. with Whitman. And that the security guards saw him leave at 7 p.m. We also find out that they, the police have been unable to get in contact with Ralph Whitman's wife, Lana. Lana. The police sergeant walks away leaving hand Ratty and Jessica standing there and the elevator door opens and it's the security guard walking out Caldwell. And so hand Ratty asked him, Hey, you know, what time did you leave? Right? I was told that Grimshaw left at seven and you saw him leave. What time did you leave? To which Caldwell said 8 PM and Mr. Whitman was alive and he was there by himself when I left. Caldwell, the security guard, then walks away. We then have Grady and Jessica in Grady's office and Grady is like, I missed the semester on tax shelters. There are no Neptune Venture files in the paperwork that he gave me the day before. I don't know what this Neptune Ventures is. I don't have any files for it. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And so Jessica is like, well, the files are probably in Whitman's office, which is sealed. So they're kind of at an impasse. While they're speaking, we then hear someone yelling (laughs) about wanting to get into her husband's office and why can't she get into her husband's office? She has the right to. And Jessica goes and looks out the door and it's Lana Whitman Ralph's wife and Carlisle and Carlisle is like, Hey, the police have it locked up. I can't let you in. It's sealed. So let's take a quick step to the side from the review. Okay. You cannot convince me that there is any business in the world that would allow a spouse into their deceased partner's office. Okay. Just because they're the person's spouse. Okay. There are company documents in there, confidential information, company property. You know what I mean? Like if she were an actual partner in the firm, the accounting firm, then yes, of course, you can make an argument that you should be able to go into that office because you are a member of the firm. However, just simply being his spouse does not give you the right to go into that office, period. Like even if it wasn't sealed, it would be up to Carlisle to let you in there. It's private property. It's not your property. It's not marital property. How do you think that you're just like It's my husband's office, so clearly I can go in. It's not your husband's office at the house. That is different, (laughs) okay? How are you walking into these people's office, sweet, and like demanding to be let into your husband's office when you are not on the payroll, okay? So (laughs) how delusional is that? (laughs) Anyway, anyway. So Jessica then basically calls out Lana. She was like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you again. And she's like, what are you talking about? We've never met. And Jessica's like, yeah, you tried to commandeer my taxi last night when you were leaving this building to which Lana was like, I was not here last night. And Jessica's like, we both know you were. And based on the current circumstances, I'm going to need to tell Lieutenant Hanratty. And it would probably be best if you also come with me and explain yourself. So she does just that. Okay. <laughs> I love this, Jessica. She was like, what we're not going to do is try to make me out as a liar. We both know the truth. Let's get down to it. Let's get this done. So Lana is like, well, I'm going to have to speak with him anyway. So I might as well do it now. Uh, yeah, you better do it now. Okay. (laughs) So as they're getting ready to go down to where Lieutenant Hanratty is, because he's still in the building, apparently. Carlisle says to Grady, Grady, the Hammond file is in my office. You may need it for the meeting this afternoon. So Jessica hears this and then walks out of the door to follow Lana to where Hanratty is. So the next scene we have Jessica standing to the side. We have Hanratty and Lana. Now they may be at the police precinct. I really cannot tell. And Lana says, yes, I was here to see my husband last night. Hanratty brings up the fact that they were having a lot of trouble trying to contact her. And basically she's like, listen, okay. I was not at the house last night or the night before. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) and she just puts it on the table. She's like, we had a marriage of convenience. We would even go on our own vacations. I preferred like the South of France and he preferred the Cayman Islands, which triggers something in Jessica's head. We see a look on her face, but it doesn't go further than that at this point. And Jessica is like, well, the time that I saw you, he would have still been in his meeting with Grimshaw. And so Lana was like, I actually didn't get to speak with him. I went up to the office. The door was locked. I knocked on the door a few times and no one answered. So I left. Which in 1987 makes sense because there's no cell phones. There's probably not... Well, there may have been a payphone, but that looks like a high end building. So there might not have been a payphone in that building open to the public, you know, for her to call the office to have somebody come and open the door, specifically calling her husband who she knows was in there. So it's believable that she was like, you know what? It ain't that serious. I'm about to go hang out with my lover. And I was just going to give him a heads up about that. But I guess he'll figure it out when he get home and I'm not there and was trying to go on about her business. So as they're finishing up there, there is the Sergeant comes downstairs and kind of interrupts and he's like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there we have trouble upstairs. So actually, yes, they are still in the building where the Carlisle and Associates accounting firm is located. So they go upstairs to the suite And there is yet another message in fresh red paint on at least two of the walls. One says, get out. I couldn't read what the other one said. And the security guard was like, this definitely wasn't here last night. The paint seems fresh. It's the maintenance woman who found it and was completely freaked out. She's speaking with Jessica, who's like, is there any area of this office where the, you feel the spirit, the strongest. And so she takes her to the janitorial closet, which is like a room. It's not a closet. It is a legit room. And she walks in and the woman, Mrs. Weems is the maintenance woman's name. She's putting on her coat. She's like, listen, I've been working in this building for 40 years. And you know what? I'm calling it a wrap. Okay. I'm not dealing with ghosts and spirits and demons and devils and all that stuff. No, no, no. Okay. No, I'm done done <laughs> she's like, good luck. She crosses herself and gets the heck out. And I'm like, ma'am, you're better than me. Cause I would have been in there with some holy oil. And if that didn't work, then I'm going to have to quit. Okay. Cause that means the Lord's telling me to get out. Okay. <laughs> this ain't for you. This ain't for you. So, <laughs> so Jessica's looking around in the janitorial room, right? And she finds a trap door. It's not really a trap door. It's a hidden door that leads into the space between the walls. Right? So she grabs a flashlight, which is conveniently in a toolbox that is perfectly placed right next to this hidden door. She goes in and after she walks a little ways we see at the feet of an unseen man step into the wall space behind Jessica there is something of a confrontation it's not aggressive so i don't i don't want you to think it's aggressive but we find out from the man who lives in the wall that he actually lives there that he did not write on the walls. This is his home. He would never vandalize any of the offices that he basically is able to survive because he steals food and scraps of clothes to be able to survive, especially I guess during the winter, because I'm sure they turn off the heat over the weekend probably. So yeah, well, maybe he hangs out in offices. Maybe some of them have space heaters, but he's like, he's been living there for years. We don't know how many years, but he has found a home in the walls of these buildings. He says that he didn't hurt anybody. He would never do this because this is his home. Like he has no reason to bring attention to, you know, this building and perhaps get found out. He's like, listen, there are pathways that I haven't even found throughout this building, especially with all the remodels and stuff. So there could be somebody else living up in these walls that I just don't know about. But what I do know is that I did not hurt anybody. Now, yes, I was out here stealing stuff to survive, but I did not hurt anybody. And I definitely wasn't out here vandalizing and committing other property crimes. He then Tells Jessica, just keep heading straight and you'll be able to get out of here. And he basically disappears. Like he's not even seen like running down the hall. Like he is just gone, okay? And so Jessica believes him. She believes him. And she even tells Hanratty about it. She shows him the entrance that she found. And there's one that leads into the office of... Whitman I believe I believe that's the one that she was showing Hanratty and I don't think that Hanratty believes that the phantom quote-unquote phantom who is a real person right is the murderer either but he's like then that only leaves Grady and neither one of us really think that Grady did it so what's what are we doing with this information we're still at step one but what we do find out from Hanratty that he's found out is that Lana's lover is a Bulgarian poet who lives in the village. I was like, okay, (laughs) very different than Ralph Whitman. That's all I'm going to say. But they said that it's a marriage of convenience and we'll find out later how long they've been married. So we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more when we get there. So the next scene, we have Carlisle on the phone with a client and the sergeant steps in and lets him know that Whitman's office is unsealed. Like they have unsealed it. You can go in. It's fine. And so (laughs) while on the phone, after he acknowledges the sergeant, he's like, thank you. He goes back to his call and tells them, do you want to pay taxes, or do you want to be rich?" And I'm like, "Wow. Whoa. Whoa. OK, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. OK, I got you. OK. <laughs> wow, just a whole blatant scheme and scandal. And he didn't even care that that sergeant was like two steps away from the door, did not even care. That is a level of boldness that I have not seen in a long time. So now we have Jessica and Grady in Whitman's unsealed office and there are no files on Neptune Ventures. So Jessica starts to look through Whitman's planner and he finds the name Marty Giles and it has an N-V next to it. So she's like envy Neptune ventures. Okay. He was there the day of the murder. Now in the very first scene, when Grady comes into the office, there's somebody yelling at the receptionist. Well, not directly at her, but his voice is raised about meeting with Whitman. So Grady is like, yeah, he was there and he was angry that day. So Jessica goes to speak with this Marty person. So Jessica gets to Marty's store, Marty's merchandise, where clearly he buys and sells stolen property because he's negotiating the purchase of a number of items. I do not know what they are. I'm assuming they're electronics of some sort. And he is offering $60 each. The person who is trying to sell them is like, that's $20 less than I bought them from, for, to which Marty was like, where's your receipt then? You don't have a receipt, do you? So the guy's like, ah, you, you know, $60 is good. I'll take $60. Marty then says, go to Shelly and she'll cash you out. Like she, He gives him whatever paper to, to cash him out. He then, Marty, finishes writing the sign. He crosses out $299.99 and writes in that it's on sale for $149.99 per unit. Okay. He is making a killing selling stolen items or items that fell off the back of a truck. Quote, unquote. Okay. (laughs) Okay. He was like, where's your receipt? I'm like, oh, I ain't got no receipt. Why Why are we talking about receipts? Receipt? Why? Why? Why would you say such a word to me that's offensive? <laughs> so anyway, so Jessica get finds him and is talking to him. And we find out that he has had the out of business sign up since before he bought it in 1968, I believe he said. And if he wasn't going out of business, then he'd really go out of business. So basically he's playing his customers. So they think they're getting an amazing deal because it has to go because the place is going out of business. But I'm like, if you've had that up for almost 20 years, people know, definitely people in the neighborhood know that it is what it is. You're not going out of business. It's just your tactic. You know, it only works for a little bit. You know? <laughs> so Jessica asks about Neptune Ventures, to which Marty is like, Who told you about that? And she's like, I heard it from the IRS. And he's like, You know what? I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say because it may be ungentlemanly. Yeah, goodbye. And so he basically runs away from Jessica. <laughs> so the next scene, we are in Grimshaw's office at the IRS with Grady and Jessica. And Grimshaw is like, now I've heard of people bringing, what did he say? He he said he's oh. I've heard of people bringing their accountant to an IRS interview, but I've never heard of an accountant bringing his aunt to an interview. And Jessica's like, well, actually, I'm working with the police on the Whitman murder, unofficially, of course, and. You know, Grimshaw's like, oh, okay. Um, so Grady is like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know this Neptune Ventures. Like, I I don't know what I can do for you. I don't know how I can help you. I can't find the files. I never worked on it. And Grimshaw's like, there's something real shady going on. I don't know what Neptune Ventures is either. However, it was used to write off expenses high dollar amount expenses for six Carlisle clients. And when they interviewed Marty, who claims he didn't know anything about it, he said it was quote, something Ralph Whitman put him into unquote. So now things are starting to come together, at least for Jessica. And I think Grimshaw is starting to get it a little bit, but he's asking Grady, like what's going on. And Grady is just like a fish out of water. He just keeps opening and closing his mouth and looking around and he just cannot form words. And I feel bad for him because he is in the worst position because he honestly does not know. And everybody except Jessica believes that he knows and is just lying and trying to cover up. So it's not even like he's trying to play the system and then he'll come around to save himself. Like, okay, I'll tell you what I know because he doesn't know anything. So he's the perfect patsy for this, but we feel bad because we like Grady, you know, he doesn't want to harm people. He's a good guy. He's just trying to actually keep a job. (laughs) We'll see how that works out soon. Okay. (laughs) So the next scene, we are in Paul Carlisle's office and he's speaking with Lana. We find out that Lana and Ralph Whitman were married for only five years. So I'm like, does she have money too? Because not for nothing, right? She must have had social status because I don't understand why he would marry her. She's not sufficiently younger than him for it to be that, you know, type of marriage for convenience. So she must've had some level of status that they would work well together. Not for nothing. She's a pretty lady, but she's not like pretty enough for that. You know what I mean? Like hate to be that person, but like, honestly, (laughs) so it doesn't sound like she was coming to the marriage with money. So she had to have like connections And maybe for him, she was pretty enough to be someone on his arm. And maybe he didn't want somebody too, too young, because maybe if she was too young, she would kill him (laughs) and take his money. At least if she's a woman of a certain age, then they may be able to work it out for a few years. I don't know. But she also reveals to us that Ralph owned five percent of Carlisle and Associates. So she was asking to be bought out for five hundred thousand dollars. Now, sitting here in 2022, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, you know, at all. It doesn't sound like a lot of money. Now, I don't have five hundred thousand dollars, but for a company of that level to buy out five percent for $500,000 seems like petty cash, right? So I looked it up and based on inflation right now that $500,000 in 1987 would be valued at $1.2 million in 2022, which is still not a lot of money in the scheme of things to me. But Paul is sitting there like, you have a very inflated opinion of the value of this company. And Lana is like, listen, you can either buy me out for $500,000 or I will take you to court where you will have to open your books. And I don't think that that's what you want to do, is it? And that's how the scene ends. Now I'm going to take a step back because... (laughs) One of the reasons that Lana wants to get bought out of the company is so that she and her Bulgarian poet lover can move to the coast of Spain because New York no longer inspires him. Right. And we find out that her lover's name is Zoltan. Yeah, I'm going to let that marinate for a bit. Okay. Zoltan. Okay. There you go. You're welcome. So, so the next scene, we have Hanratty approaching Jessica and Grady. I believe that they are, of course, at the office and Hanratty is saying, hey, Grady, I need to take you down to the precinct for formal questioning. Grimshaw from the IRS called with information connecting Grady to the tax fraud and possibly giving him a motive to murder Whitman. So the next scene, we are at the precinct with Hanratty, Grady, and Jessica. And Hanratty asks, Grady, have you ever been to the Cayman Islands? And Grady says, yeah, a few times on behalf of Whitman to meet investors. And Jessica is surprised by this. She's like, you never told me that. He's like, it was for business. Like Whitman sent me down there. So I, you know... I don't know. Maybe you should have told your aunt that you were going out of the country. <laughs> like just, just for safety reasons. I, I think that's what she was more concerned about. Not that you went, but that you didn't say anything. So she would know to check on you make sure you didn't get stuck in the Cayman Islands or like murdered out there. And no one was looking for you because she didn't know that you were gone. Is that just me who's concerned <laughs> about people possibly like disappearing in other countries and not having told their family? where they were so yeah yikes okay tell your family if you're going to be leaving I don't know the state and definitely the country let let people know and keep them up to date so they can ensure that you make it back home safe pro tip just so you know so we find out from hand that there was an account in the Cayman Islands opened six months ago in Grady's name with his signature as the authorized user. So Grady is like, uh, clearly it was forged, but what is Hanratty supposed to think, right? Now I believe that Hanratty does not believe that it was Grady, but he understands what type of setup this is. It's a very, very well done setup of Grady to take the fall for this Neptune Venture situation. Now this murder is something new and different, but I'm guessing that the theory would be that Whitman either a found out that Grady was doing this and so, and threatened to tell or turn Grady into the police or the IRS or both and Grady murdered him. Or they were in it together and Whitman got greedy or Whitman just threatened to tell people and Grady got upset and murdered him. So that seems to be the theory that Hanratty is putting out. But I don't think he really believes that. But that's where we're at now based on the evidence that they currently have. So then we have Jessica and Grady in a taxi Jessica hands over the list that Grimshaw, I believe, gave them of the six companies that had write offs from Neptune Ventures. And Jessica says that she is going to speak with one of them and she's going to get answers this time. She goes into Marty's merchandise and she is on one. Okay, she means business. And Marty realizes this. Okay. He fully appreciates that she is not playing games and he needs to be a hundred percent honest with her. So he tells her, listen, I received a letter demanding that I invest in Neptune ventures or they were going to turn me into the police and IRS specifically IRS about the fraudulent tax practices that I currently have then and still do now. And it was cheaper for me to pay this quote unquote investment into Neptune Ventures than what the IRS would have charged me had they found out what I was doing. So Jessica is like, well you have to tell the police this. And Marty was like, uh, so that's going to be a no for me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And Jessica leaves. She's like, whatever. I got the information I needed. Let me move on. So Jessica returns to the accounting firm office and her and Grady are in Whitman's office going through his files, right? And Grady is like, I I can't even see straight. Let me go splash some water on my face. He walks out of the office and he bumps into Connie who is, packing up her stuff to go. And she's like, Hey, you know, this really has me kind of freaked out with the ghost and the murder and all of that. Can you walk me to the subway? It's really close. It should only take a few minutes. So Grady says, yes, of course, let me just grab my jacket. Now he goes and grabs his coat and we will find out later that he does not say anything to Jessica. Now I didn't think he did, but this is confirmed later. He did not tell Jessica, Hey, I'm going to just take Connie down to the subway. Okay, does not tell her she thinks he's still in the bathroom, which I'm like, Grady, you need to be telling your aunt where you're at. Like, honestly, this is a safety issue for both of you at this point. But anyway, he doesn't. So we're back in the office. Jessica is looking through files. She picks one up and it's Charles T. Perhaps Hammond. I, I forget what the middle initial was. And she has an epiphany. She's like, Hammond, why does that sound familiar? Now she is thinking out loud when she's saying this. And she's like, wait a second. And she gets it. She has an epiphany. Now she doesn't say what that epiphany is, but she has it. But Carlisle pops up in at the door. He has his hat and his coat on and an umbrella. And it's like, oh, what's familiar or what's funny? However he put it. And she's like, oh, well, what are you doing here? I thought you left. And he said, I did, but it was raining. So I had to come back and get my umbrella. But what were you saying about the Hammond file? And Jessica gets up and she's quick on her feet, both actually, literally and figuratively, okay? (laughs) And she's like, oh, I thought that was the husband of a friend of mine in Cabot Cove. He had passed away some years ago, but he had a different middle initial. So yeah, that that's what I meant. And long story short, Carlisle knows that she's figured it out. He realizes that he had made a mistake with regards to the Hammond file and Jessica picked up on it and she knew about Neptune Ventures and the tax fraud, right? So what he meant with regards to him slipping up about the Hammond file, we will remember when Jessica was first introduced to Carlisle, as they were leaving Whitman turned around to Carlisle while Jessica and Grady were standing next to Whitman. And he said, Paul, I have the Hammond file on my desk. Do you want to go over it tonight? To which Carlisle said, no, I'm getting ready to leave in a few minutes myself. I will look at it in the morning. Now, that night, Whitman was murdered and his office was sealed before anybody else came in, right? Because Grady found Whitman murdered, called the police. The police came in. And after they finished looking in, so the only other person who came in was Jessica, which I'm like, uh, crime scene, how about we not? But the body was gone by then, so "Mm, kinda. And so Carlisle would not have been able to get access to that office or that file. Now we will also remember that when Jessica confronted Lana about the fact that she was there last night when her husband was possibly still alive, probably still alive, but she was there and the police wanted to talk to her. As Jessica was walking out with Lana, Carlisle said to Grady, hey, the Hammond file is on my desk. You may need it for the meeting this afternoon. So how did he get the file unless he had gone in there at some point that night. So he had to return to the office to then go in and speak with Whitman. And now that didn't mean that he murdered Whitman, but he admits that he murdered him. So (laughs) there you go. So Jessica says, well, you could have come back to talk business with Whitman. Like it didn't mean that you came back to murder him. To which Carlisle was like, no, I came back to kill that second rate blackmailer. I'm like, dude, why are you just giving up all your stuff? You should have been like, yeah, yeah. So that's what we telling the police that I came back to ask him some questions and, and got the file and went on about my day. Like that's, and I just forgot. And I just now remembered what, sir, why are you just, just giving all this information up? Why are you confessing? I know it's Jessica and she's amazing. And you tend, people tend to confess to her. But sir, you're, you're completely unwound at this point, completely unwound at this point. And you can see his hair is a little disheveled too. So you know that he's spiraling. That's how you know he's spiraling. So Jessica is afraid, like legitimately afraid of this man. And she yells for Grady. Carlisle says, no, he can't hear you. He walked Connie down to the subway. There's no one here to save you. So tell me what your conclusion is. What do you believe happened? So Jessica's like, well, okay. If, since you asked, Whitman was threatening tax cheats, forcing them to invest in Neptune Ventures or he would report them to the IRS. To which Carlisle was like, actually, I was the one who started it. Whitman found out about it and blackmailed his way into being a part of it. So I allowed him to be a part of it. And Jessica was like, and put great, get Grady involved, or at least his name to which Carlisle was like, that was Ralph's idea. Whitman, his idea to add Grady so that if everything went South, it would all be blamed on Grady. And I'm like, that's trash. But both of them, I don't feel bad for either of them. Whitman deserves to be dead and Carlisle deserves to go to prison for very, very, very long. Not club fed. I mean like for real murderers in the next cell, federal prison. Okay. That type of federal prison. So Carlisle is like, well, you know, things were going along how they were going along. But I got fed up with being blackmailed. And that Whitman would have this over my head for the rest of my life. So I decided to get rid of him. I'm like, wow. (laughs) So I'm like, I guess the truth is the truth. He just put it all on the table. Well, he was planning to murder her. So he didn't care that he told her all his plans and business and dreams and hopes and stuff like that. So. Carlisle then starts to chase Jessica and it's actually her, it is not her stunt double. It's actually Jessica running around the desk, like a few quick steps, like it's not a full out chase. And as soon as Carlisle gets around the desk, the phantom from the wall, okay, cause that's what we are gonna call this man. The man who lives in the wall, we are gonna call him a phantom. He didn't give his name, so that's what we are gonna call him. He comes busting through the wall And tackles Carlisle and for some reason has rope with him because I, you know what? He's been watching this whole thing play out. So he was probably, he probably got rope from the janitor's closet and just had it on deck waiting for this. Right? So he basically hog ties this guy and then disappears back into the wall. Okay. Okay. Grady comes in and he's like, Jessica, Aunt Jessica, Aunt Jessica. and She's like, oh my God, Grady, come in here, come in here. And Carlisle is face down with his feet behind his back tied up. Okay. <laughs> Just knocked out. And Grady's like, oh my God, did you do this? And she's like, no, like it was the man who lives in the walls. <laughs> he did it. He saved my life. He saved my life. And so... He is now gone. He is hidden again, right? So the next scene, we have Hanratty and Jessica and Grady. And Jessica is showing Hanratty the entrance to the inside of the walls from Whitman's office. And she's like, do you really need to keep looking for him? Like, he didn't really commit any large scale crimes. He didn't steal anything really of value. I'm like, I'm sure that Grady would argue against that cuz his sandwich i'm sure he was extra hungry and it's a new york city deli so i'm sure it was super expensive too but okay you know greater good greater good and so <laughs> he's like he didn't he didn't cause any harm he any harm to anyone and he saved my life so hanrahy was like yeah you know what you're probably right like what's the point right what's the point so he's like you know what um let's go get something to eat jessica's like oh there's a deli that i I know or saw whatever around the corner. Okay, let's go. So Hanratty goes to get his jacket and his nice new hat and the hat is gone. Okay. Now I have no idea. Okay. How this man, while they were, cause Grady was in the office. So like at what point would he have been able to get this man's hat? Cause we clearly saw it when, Jessica and he and Raddy were climbing out of the wall, his hat and his, was on top of his coat. But then when he goes back over there, it's gone. And we then see the man inside the wall, the Phantom, putting on the hat. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Okay, that's impossible. Okay, is he actually a ghost and can go through walls and somehow make the hat disappear and then reappear when he's back inside the wall? Because that's impossible that nobody saw him, okay, come out and get the hat. He would have had to go past Grady while Jessica and Handwriting were in the wall or all three of them once they were back in. So I'm like, that was cute, but it's impossible for that to have happened actually, factually. So anyway, so that's that on that. Okay. <laughs> and Henry took it in stride because he could have been like, no, we are about to burn this building all the way down. Who stole my hat? Okay, sir, I wasn't going to arrest you, but you out here stealing hats from me, which I'm like, that's rude because the Lieutenant was going to let him live right? And you go and you steal his hat. Like what? That's terrible. Like, that's actually terrible. Like not nearly as bad as murdering somebody clearly, but come on now that was that necessary? No, it wasn't necessary. Okay. Anyway, so a pretty good episode I must say, and this had a two for one for Grady. Not only did one of his bosses get murdered and he get blamed for murdering the boss, but another boss is the one who was the murderer. So we've previously seen Grady with a boss that was murdered and he was blamed for it. And in a different episode, his boss was the murderer right here. We got both of them, both situations. Okay. Oh, poor Grady, a whole, a whole mess. But at least he didn't, um, get and lose a relationship. So there's that. Like he definitely had eyes for Connie, the secretary. And she was giving him a little play, but not a lot of play. So, you know, she wasn't out here breaking his heart or anything like that. So at the very least, he may not have a job, but his heart wasn't broken. So, you know, half dozen one, six of the other. So next week we will be talking about the cemetery vote. I will tell you now, I do not particularly care for this episode. We will find out why next week. Now I've said that before, right? (laughs) And then I was like, oh, actually this episode isn't so bad. But I feel like there's issues, a lot of injustice that occurs. In the episode next week, that does not sit right with me. Okay, so yeah, yeah. But it'll be a full review, and we'll have fun where we can have fun. But just the heads up is not one of my faves. Not as bad as funeral at 50 mile. Now, not we're not on that level, but it's one that I don't necessarily care for. So Expect a lot of judgment, (laughs) okay? (laughs) But we'll see. We'll see. Again, you know, it's been quite a few years since I've watched it because I don't care for it. So we'll see how it goes next week with the review. But anyway, until then, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram, on Facebook Meta, at the Fletcher Files Pod page on Facebook, Meta, (laughs) and of course, on Patreon, link in the description box, the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. So I look forward to seeing you all next week for the Cemetery Vote, because we're going to get through that together, okay? (laughs) But until we meet again next week on Sunday at 5 p.m., you promise me that you will have an amazing week and I will do the same. Bye.